Welcome to the Waymaker Fireside Chat Podcast, where our purpose is to grow your life and change the world. In this episode, we sit down with Michella Gilbert, Lewis Carr is an author, the founder of Waymaker, and the president of media sales at BET Networks. Michella Gilbert is the CEO and co-founder of Oyer Apparel, a clothing company specifically engineered for female performance and comfort. Today, she'll talk about her work with and the origins of Oya Apparel, as well as fashion and her advice to listeners about what it takes to start your own business. Let's get started. Hi, I'm Louis Carr, founder of Waymaker, and today on the Waymaker Fireside Chat, we have the privilege of having the co-founder and CEO of Oya Femtech, a company that focuses on performance wear that fights women's health issues. Michella Gilbert, how are you? I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Thank you for agreeing to this interview. Uh, I'm just gonna jump right into it uh, because I don't think the introduction and the name really gives real substance and understanding to the product that you've done. And, why you know women need to consider this product. So let's give us let's take a deep dive into Oya Femtech. Tell us about the company and more importantly, why did you start this company? Yeah, so Oya uh, is a Nigerian warrior goddess who represents fertility, um, rebirth, and storms. And we thought that was a great name for a sportswear company dedicated to fighting feminine health issues. Um, before Oya, uh, I was always interested in apparel, innovation, uh, women's rights. I was a state-ranking athlete. I played rugby in college. I played with some Olympians. And um, like many of my customers, I suffered from reoccurring feminine health issues from wearing sportswear all the time. Um, although at the time, I didn't understand why I was getting these reoccurring feminine health issues, I, because I, I was so ashamed, I suffered in silence. Later on, much later in my life, I came to realize that spandex, which is what most performance wear is made out of, uh, spandex blends, is kind of like a garbage bag and that it doesn't breathe and it doesn't absorb moisture. So women leak. And so it, our spandex and our apparel traps a lot of bad moisture near our bodies, and which helps create bad bacteria. And so when my co-founder and I in business school learned about the adverse health uh, implications of women's sportswear, we got frustrated. So I went to work at Nike. I worked at Lululemon. Um, we started entering in pitch competitions. We started winning. And now we launched June 2021. And now Oya is almost two years old. Wow. Well, Congratulations. And, you know, what made you decide, Mitch, that it was possible that you could start your own company and, you know, address this problem? Yeah, I, I still struggle with that today because it's such a big, it's such a big problem and it's such a, it's, it's, it, it's exciting and it almost seems bigger than one person. And it's interesting looking back on my life, I was, uh, a consultant a few years ago, and I was going to make my slow death towards partner and just, you know, keep climbing this ladder where no one looks like me. And I was on a first class Delta flight and I saw a pair of knockoff Yeezys 
except it was Gucci, the clothing label that had teamed up with Adidas to make knockoff Yeezys. And it blew my mind at the time because I was like, how is Kanye not crazy? When Gucci and Adidas, who's your manufacturer, are teaming up to steal your market share. And so I sat down next to a guy on my plane and um, he just let me chatter for a whole hour and was just asking me all these questions about like distribution models and licensing and deals. And I was just so excited because I love solving problems and I love innovation and I love fashion. And at the end of it, he asked me, are you going to business school? And I had never considered it because um, where I'm from, people like me don't start venture-backed companies. We don't even start companies, really. Um, we are working-class employees. And so I responded promptly, no, that's not for me. I wasn't thinking about it. And he ends the conversation with like, well, I'm a recruiter for Harvard Business School, and I think you should really think about it. And so that really is what kickstarted my journey into beginning to believe that I could do something innovative because previously it was more so I felt like I was trapped in a corporate structure where I didn't get to play around with new ideas and build something new. And where are you from? I'm from Philadelphia, working class neighborhood. My mother was a teacher. That's great. So you go to Harvard Business School. And... I did not go to Harvard. It was not my vibe. Not my um. I'm, I'm, that's not that was not me. I went to UCLA. I was recruited, and it makes a lot more sense because I'm fashion, and Boston is many things, but not fashion. So, so what did you end up telling the guy on the plane? Well, we um. I had to be convinced to go to business school. So he had me go out to Harvard twice. Um, I met with him and his wife. And ultimately, he was like, if HBS is not for you, find a school that better suits your speed. But you need you need to you not only do you need to do this, but you can thrive by doing this. And so from there, I started to introduce myself to new schools and um, I got into UCLA on a full ride. And I became a Wooden Fellow for those of you who follow basketball. And they've been very good to me. So, so, so Mitch, what was the pitch that he said? that why you needed business school. I'm sure there, there are a lot of entrepreneurs out there who may be listening to this and say, you know, do I need to go to business school to be successful? You know, uh, I hadn't thought about it. What did he tell you that sort of motivated you and said, I need to go to business school? Yeah, so black women are the fastest growing group of entrepreneurs in America uh, right now. Um, there's a lot of us. That being said, there are systemic barriers to capital uh, that, which would preclude you from being able to scale your business. And a lot of our businesses don't make it past the two, three, five-year mark because we don't always know the language or have the experience to know how to build a business that's capable of growth. And so going to business school at the time, I didn't fully understand what I was going to learn about building a business. But at the time, what he communicated to me was like, if you want to go anywhere in America, you already have two targets on your back, being brown and being female presenting. And so if you want to go anywhere where you have the power to say, to shape your future, having additional credentials behind your name, whether it's right or wrong, um, enables people to be able to take you more seriously. And so now having come through business school, 
Um, I I don't necessarily agree with the term she, he, she, her, or whatever. My pronouns are they, them. That being said, I am female presenting, and I'm one of the first 200 Black women to ever raise over a million dollars. And going through business school really helped me to be able to communicate with people who look different than me because of that language barrier. So you go to business school. Uh, were you sure that you were going to address uh, female health issues or did you just know you wanted to be an entrepreneur? I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur and do something in fashion. And we quickly learned. Uh, so UCLA is, has a unique program um, called BCO, Business Creation Option, where they essentially teach you how to build a business from soup to nuts. And it's your uh, master's thesis and you work on it while you're in school the whole time. And I took this very seriously. And it, you work with a team of five people, yourself included. And I immediately began staffing as soon as I got to school. So I hire for things I don't know how to do. So I hired a Nike product finance manager. I hired somebody from, uh, what is it? healthcare, uh, an engineer and a project manager. And while we were going through our ideas for our project, we quickly learned that there's a lot of ways to make a lot of money in fashion, but also to lose money in fashion. So if you want to go the Louis Vuitton approach, where you spend a lot on marketing, you need to have some great influencers. You need to have some great ties to the community and be able to uh, put yourself in the right position PR-wise versus if you want to do fast fashion like Zara or uh, Fashion Nova, you need to have access to big factories and be able to produce fast fashion really quickly and rapidly in a great supply chain where you could ship those uh, that, the apparel all over the world. We did not have access to capital like that. And so we were more so looking um, for an underserved customer uh, who we could supply, who we could innovate around. And so in the way that Nike created the first running shoe and Gore-Tex really enabled outerwear, we were looking for this customer who was not being served by fashion. And so I, at the time when we were looking for this idea, I went to the OBGYN with another yeast infection because I train when I get stressed. Like my like place is like, I'm up. If, if I don't know what's going on with my life, I'm up by 5 a.m. and we're going to the gym and we're going to do some pull-ups. And so I'm there with another yeast infection and the OBGYN tells me to stop wearing leggings. And it was like, it can't be that simple. But our project revealed we had to do over 200 hours of research with doctors, women's health professionals, uh, uh, moms, doulas, midwives. And they really uh, validated that there was an issue with women's health uh, and spandex. And so that's how we landed on Oh yeah, FemTech Wow, that seems like a lot. Most innovation is, you know, it takes it takes a lot of time, a lot of thought processes, and even around the product, it's a lot of ergodynamics. It's it's the fashion, it's the fit, it's the fabric. It's it's definitely been a development process. So, how, how long did that, you know, development test? testing, because I'm assuming you had to test it on particular athletes and women who trained uh, similar to you. How long was that exact process to say, we got it? It's evolving. We've tested with over 60 doctors and 200 athletes. 
and athletes of all varieties. So like people who like cycle, people who do basketball, uh, soccer, running, weightlifting, CrossFit. And, but in business school, we incubated for about a year and a half. We started entering pitch competitions our first year and we started winning, which was a surprise to us uh, because we didn't really know much about anything. I think our first pitch competition, we actually went with, I went with a pair of Lululemon leggings that I had like safety pins and paper to. And I was like, this is where the ventilation will go. And this is how it will work. But those initial business plan competitions really helped us be able to articulate our idea and our vision for the future and find advisors to help us refine things. And then also helped us win the initial monies to set up our legal processes, as well as um, start producing samples so we could test. So Mitch, you know, the, the, the normal simple question is when we talk to founders and what people want to know, how did you know where to go to get help? So how did you find scientists, physicians, and people like that that said, hmm, maybe you might have something. Let me sort of pitch in and, and give you some, how, how did you know where to go? Business competitions are a great start because they put your business on a platform in front of a lot of advisors who are interested in helping you. And so they'll reach out from there, but also uh, being in business school helps because we had access to professors who would introduce us to people. Um, and I would say the last is, it, sometimes it's not even like, how do you know where to go to get help? Sometimes it's, how do you kickstart yourself into a language where it's like, you can get help. I think sometimes as an entrepreneur, you can get into these roadblocks and feel like, or at least me, where I'll feel defeated. And like, I didn't get this right quite by myself. And then it's being able to re reduce your emotions and be like, just because I haven't solved this problem doesn't mean that someone else hasn't. And so it's getting creative. It's like posting things on LinkedIn, like, hey, who's good at this? Who can help me? It's reaching out to your investors and being like, do you know anyone good at this? And because what you, what I think, um, I built a robotics team in Detroit. And one of the first things that that experience really taught me is that if you have a desire to do something, people tend to want to help. You just need to be able to articulate what it is that you want to do or what you need help with and how they can fall into place. And you and, and, and get in your head that whatever vision you have is possible. And then just communicate that with everybody you see and people will naturally come to help you, I think. So you got an idea, you mm -hmm. got people to help you, you yeah. develop a product. Yeah. Now, how, do, how do you get it manufactured? How, people don't like, so how do you go from idea to manufacturing? Yeah, so that's difficult because oil was born during COVID, really. So that was definitely a very challenging experience. Being in LA definitely helps. Uh, I am strategically located here because there are factories. Uh, some of the only places that really manufacture apparel still in LA, sorry, in America are New York and LA. And New York focuses more on like couture, high fashion, et cetera. Whereas LA does sportswear, which is my bread and butter. And so we initially started, I was in our accelerator at UCLA working at like 2 a.m., just like trying to like kick around ideas and figure this out. And the security guard, the overnight security guard would see me all the time. And one day he stops, he's like, what are you doing here so late? And I was like, I'm working on these pants that help vaginas. 
He's like, interesting. It's like yoga pants. And I was, I was like, yeah. He's like, man, I used to make yoga pants. I was like, really? Do you know manufacturers here? He's like, yeah, I can help you out. And so the next day, the security driver came. He he came to UCLA to pick me up. I was like, you're gonna drive me somewhere? He's like, he's like, a house. We're supposed to get there, but it was a little Fiat. So I I trusted that he wasn't gonna kidnap me because I don't think men in Fiats kidnap people. Like I don't. I just I don't know. But anywho, from me being open to that experience, he then introduced us to our first uh, pattern maker. From there, he introduced us to our next manufacturer, which was out of China, um, because we were having our original factory got shut down during COVID. So we moved to China. Then it was very difficult because we didn't have control of the process and it was COVID. So then from there, he helped us come back to the U.S., find our next manufacturer who we didn't like because of quality control issues. And then he, he, then he helped us find our next manufacturer. And so again, that process of just being open and bringing people along in your story, people will want to help. Now, Mitch, now you know there are people out there going like, no, wait a minute, girl, a security guard, he was awfully resourceful for being a security guard. So, you know, there's a lot of people going like, come on now, Mitch, the security guard. The security guard, he's still an advisor to this day. That's 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 a great, great story. So you're manufacturing out of China and LA or, or where? During COVID, uh, the peak of COVID, we were manufacturing out of China because we could not manufacture in LA because all of our LA factories pretty much were shut down for essential workers. So once we started opening back up, we moved our supply chain back here to the US. So even our fabrics are custom made in LA. We have begun sourcing our inserts in China because um, it's made with very technical fabrics and they don't even necessarily have the machinery here in LA anymore. Um, but it's our actual apparel is made here. Got it. So how can women sort of find the product? Yeah, so... You can find and get educated and get a laugh. We call it edutainment on our socials. Uh, so we are Wear Oya, W-E-A-R-O-Y-A, on Instagram and TikTok. You could also Pinterest, um, and you can also check out our website. Uh, we just sold out for a second time. So products are currently on pre-order, but we expect to be restocking bras this month. Um, some leggings later this month, and finally dropping our full collection um, later next month. And then we'll also be dropping in Chance this July and REI this August. So so tell the listeners what the product line consists of. Yes. Yeah, so we offer a lot of functional sportswear basics. So we have anti-irritation tops that fight issues like boob rash, back knee, um, all the fun stuff up top, uh, dermatological issues, and our leggings below fight issues like yeast infections, UTIs, bacteria vaginosis. Um, our leggings are ventilated and absorbent. They are four times more absorbent than a competitor legging and two times more ventilated. They also kill bacteria. And uh, we offer these leggings in a couple variations. So you can get your seven eighth legging in a waist sculptor. You could get it in a V cut waistband. We also offer the V cut in a full length. We have a four inch inseam booty short, and we'll be dropping a six inch inseam booty short this summer with pockets in a variety of colors. 
and it's literally called a booty short. Well, I mean, it's four inches. <laughs> so Mitch you don't have to look that far back like some of my guests look back to when you graduated from undergrad what do you know now that you wish you knew back then when you graduated from undergrad you know, I think that's a challenging question because I, I feel like whenever I'm like looking in my past, I always get in trouble. Like whenever I'm just like, let me like analyze what did I wish I knew now? Like I, I, or like my if I keep, if I take my eye off of the gas in the future and where I'm going and who I'm trying to be, I start messing up. So, but what I can say about where I want to go is um, I've recently been reading uh, uh Kobe and Michael Jordan's trainer, Tim, has this book called Relentless. And I've been really introduced to the Mamba mentality because I'm I'm playing at a different level. So like the level where I was at in, in uh, undergrad and then the level where I was at in my MBA program and the level when I was fundraising and now the level that I'm at right now, these are all different levels. And winning costs a lot especially when you think about like I'm in my 30s like early 30s so now like then you start having conversations around like family planning winning costs and so I think this book has been really helpful for me to think through what is my framework for these next coming years to be in such a challenging environment especially this like economic climate like are we in a recession I don't know but my bank blew up so maybe we are I don't know but how do I deal with all of that pressure and that stress, but do it in a way where I can provide top cover for my team and make the best products for my customers and keep growing. And, and that is like really where my head's at. And so I'm always like looking for like, I, I, I'm just focused on the future. So, you know, we believe, Mitch, that every successful person has had at least one way maker. So uh, you've told us about the security guard was one of your waymakers. All right, you, you know I'm gonna not let you forget that, right? So who else has been a waymaker in your life to make this possible? I think of so many people who just who just reached out to touch and like help me in so many ways. Um, but I would honestly, in, in a cliche answer, say my mother, um, she passed while I was in college. She had cancer, um, so feminine health issues, or just issues in general that she didn't feel comfortable articulating or getting help with. And um, it's interesting because growing up, she had about 10 to 14 brothers and sisters. Wow. And um, she grew up during the we grew up during a crack epidemic. And so a lot of her siblings were impacted. And so she was the first out of all her siblings and her entire family to go to college. She was the first to buy a house. She was the first to, uh, she was really focused on getting us educated. And I look back um, being in my thirties now and just understanding the type of pressure she put herself under and why she felt like she needed to perform even when she was sick and why that didn't matter to her because she really wanted to make sure that her kids had more options and I think even um, now like my best friend growing up is on crack which is crazy like that's crazy and so that was the sort of environment in which I was raised but my mother 
fought so hard to make sure that I was going to be in good schools. So that way I had more options than that. So final question, Rich, what advice would you give to young female entrepreneurs who just got an idea? They don't know where to start. They don't know what to do, but they got an idea. Start making stuff, you know, like, even if it's like people, I think what's interesting about being a black woman is that people are going to tell you no before you even open up your mouth to answer questions. Like, a, but when you're born, when you're born, you're born with a checklist of things that people have said no against. And so when you have ideas or, and you can't, you find yourself stuck and you can't get started, what you're really listening to sometimes is a voice that predates you. It's a cultural voice that has told you to stay in place, stay stuck, don't do anything, et cetera. That voice probably spoke to your mother. That voice spoke to your grandmother. It's a big voice. And so the way you get around that is you just get started. And you, as you go on your journey and you keep doing things and just like, as I said, like my first pair of leggings, I didn't have the leggings. I took a pair of Lululemon leggings and stuck a safety pin in them, but I was able to communicate where I wanted to go. And so as you continue doing that and taking baby steps and steps and steps and steps, eventually that's how you build a mountain. It doesn't happen overnight. It takes you believing in yourself and being committed and just doing it one step at a time. Wow. Thank you for that. And, uh, you know, before we, before we go, we, 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 we want to be proper. And you, you've been saying, you know, the security guard, just give us his name so he can get some credit, all right? We just can't be saying the security guard. Give us his name. His name is Alonzo, Alonzo Ward, and he'd be very excited to be talking to you. Probably. <laughs> he's, he's a very in-the-background advisor, but he's he's been tremendously helpful, especially considering that I'm not from L.A., so just having an advisor who's there to support with everything from car troubles to moving to finding manufacturers has been has been wonderful. Laura, can you hear me? I can't. Hold on. He's here. So let's just finish it. Hey. Man, my computer died. I don't, I, I don't, I don't know what the hell happened. <laughs> I was confused. Okay, you're fine. So it was Alonzo, all right? It was Alonzo, yeah. Well, we want to thank Alonzo for all of the the work and help that he's given you. And uh, we look forward to meeting Alonzo one day because it, it sounds like uh, Alonzo's resourceful, all right? So, he, he built this uh, table that I'm actually working with you on. Oh my goodness, come on now, Mitch. This table. <laughs> Alonzo didn't help you in manufacturing. He didn't build the table. Look, <laughs> hey, we need to interview Alonzo, all right? Yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe. Well, thank you so much for this. We appreciate you being so candid and sharing uh, all of the inside of your journey. We wish you the best of luck and we're sure that many people will be excited about hearing this story and be inspired and motivated by you. So thank you so very much and the best of luck to Oya Femtech. Thank you. All right, thanks so much. 
Thank you so much for listening to this conversation between Lewis Carr and Michella Gilbert. What did you enjoy about this episode? Let us know on our social media at Waymaker Culture. And don't forget to claim your Waymaker Journal at waymakerjournal.com. And be sure to enter the Waymaker giveaway by going to waymakercontest.com. Subscribe to the Waymaker Fireside Chat podcast to get notifications each time we release an episode.